welcome to today's episode of This Much We Know. My name is Matthew Hopkins Hubbard and I'm joined today by my co-host Simon Pickering. This Much We Know is a podcast all about building social enterprise. We hope to share with you the good, the bad and the ugly. All of our learning and failures on developing impactful social enterprise, providing employment and training for those in need. We will be sharing with you a range of challenges, how to overcome them, and we're joined in each episode by a social entrepreneur sharing their stories, successes and favourite facepalm moments. In today's episode, we're welcoming Rachel Newell, founder of Overstream Clean in Cambridge. Rachel and I worked together for a number of years and I'm really pleased to have her on as a guest today. She has lots to share on all things social enterprise. My career didn't start in the social enterprise world, although I've always worked in the charity sector until recently. I've always been quite entrepreneurial, I'd say. Age seven, um, my mum got knocks on the door with people dropping off parcels of clothes. I'd sent leaflets around the neighbourhood saying I'm doing like a special sale for the starving children in Ethiopia. But she wasn't impressed when maybe 50 people dropped off their stuff on our doorstep. (laughs) So that was probably the start of my entrepreneurial career. And then my first job out of the kind of immigration sector was for a charity based in Cambridge called Red to Greenhouse. And it was a horticultural enterprise with a little farm shop and we sold plants and bedding plants and hanging baskets and veg. Um, and we worked with adults with learning disabilities. Such a fun project to work on. I really enjoyed that. Um, I mean, that was inheriting a kind of business that was already up and running, but it was kind of trying to make it more profitable and make for the learning experience for the clients that we worked with better. And then from there, I went on, set up a eBay auction shop with the same charity. So members of the public bought in their items and we we taught people how to eBay them and we took a cut of the profit, so to speak. So that was quite interesting. And then after that, I found the job at Winter Comfort, which is where I met Simon. So at Winter Comfort, my role was social enterprise manager. So Winter Comfort, fairly well known in the sort of homeless sector. Um, I didn't realise that until I started working there myself. And um, can you tell us more about the social enterprises that you ran there, Rachel? Yeah, so when I started, I inherited um, a couple of social enterprises that were already up and running. So we had the Food for Food, which was a buffet making enterprise with a cafe aside, part of that. And then also Winter Willow which was uh, enterprise weaving coffins out of willow. A great enterprise, really different, really innovative. But I guess the problem with winter willow was it didn't have kind of a throughput. We were teaching people how to weave willow and giving them a job and it was great. But unfortunately, there was no kind of progression on from that. There wasn't a lot of roles with those skills that were suited. So there was kind of a dead end for people. Whereas, you know, the coffins were taken on sales executive and we were selling coffins to funeral directors all over the country. I think in our last year of trading, we sold 100 coffins. I think the issue with that enterprise was the social side of things. If we were going to become a trading arm of the charity, then it would be run a very different way. It wouldn't be about the social outputs, getting people jobs. It would be more about making money from the coffins, which could go back in the charity to do the good work that we do. And I think when I took on the role, the trustees were very much, this needs to make profit. There's no point doing it if it's not making profit, which is quite right. It needed to have some outcomes. So it was all about making profit. And then they said, oh, no, it's all about the social outcomes. 
it was a very tricky enterprise to balance those two. So I think we learned a lot from doing it. And as, as far as I know, that enterprise is still going on. The chief kind of willow weaver took on somebody himself and he now runs that himself. I think the coffins are still being made. So it wasn't a total waste of resource. And it was a really, really steep learning curve, I think, both for the trustees, um, for myself, for the chief exec. We learned quite a lot on that journey. You know, it gave me an opening, certainly in my time, once we'd wound down Winter Willow and passed that over, it gave me time then to really have a think about what would work to meet our objectives and to really nail down a business strategy. So that's where Overstream Clean came. And tell us, Rachel, a little bit more about Overstream Clean. So Overstream Clean, right from the beginning, had a little bit of an idea in my head. We got some money. I think it was NIAS gave us a little bit of pilot funding money to do some DIY classes. I think that's how it started up. And we had somebody come in and do some kind of handy person lessons, you know, um, sessions, workshops. They weren't actually as popular as we thought. And as part of that funding, they also enabled me to go around the UK and visit various other social enterprises, which I think was the best thing, you know, I could have done. I think people have ideas in their head. And quite often, the number one idea that I hear other charities talk about is we want to set up a community cafe. Uh, It seems to be the first thing people think about. And it seems to be like an obvious solution. You know, it's a place where people can meet. It ticks a number of boxes. Food is a great enabler to conversations and groups of people meeting together. But I mean, that's another whole podcast on community cafes. I can talk about them at length and, and why they not always as easy as people think. So I got to go around the UK. I went up to Action Leicester. They had, I think it was a enterprise in Leicester. They had Action Clean, Action Paint. They had various different branches and Shekinah Trading down in Plymouth and St. Mungo's in London. So went to visit a few other social enterprises, some which they did cleaning as well. And the one Shekinah Trading um, was a cleaning, commercial cleaning business. Um, And that really gave me some good ideas on what worked, maybe what didn't. And I think that probably is my number one piece of advice is not to reinvent the wheel. There's people out there already doing really good things. So yes, I think that kind of research phase and really understanding what it was that we wanted to achieve at Winter Comfort. We knew our goal was to get people kind of off the streets, into employment, into accommodation. How are we going to do that and make a bit of money? Make it sustainable. And I think people think of profit as a dirty word in the charity world, but it's not at all. It has to be a sustainable business, you know, number one. And sometimes the decisions that you make in terms of social outcomes and financial outcomes don't always balance, but they can do. I don't think they should be mutually exclusive. Rachel, could you give us some more information about the steps that you took to developing Overstream Clean, what the process was? The first step, we spoke to a lot of service users. I did these little kind of video interviews with people, finding out what their barriers to employment were. And I think that was a real eye-opener. It wasn't necessarily all the barriers that I thought there would be. There were other things as well that cropped up. But it was a really important thing to kind of understand what was going to work as a business because they were going to be our number one employees. I developed a business plan. We got some support from a mentor, John Dow, who was amazing, from PwC. And he gave me kind of a template for a financial model, which we could complete and really get a grip with, 
you know, how much it was going to cost and what we were looking for in terms of cash flow going forward. Um, and I think that was really important. That support was really key. And then I think there was some really good timing. The LEP announced its prize challenge fund. And I think the deadline was September. So it was perfect timing. And we were really pleased to have been granted £50,000, which was a great boost at the beginning. It meant we could buy the equipment we needed. We started quite lean. I mean, that was a great thing about the social enterprise. We didn't need a huge amount of outlay. You know, we, we were able to get the branding done, the logo and the website to give us this professional image. You know, we wanted to come across as a professional cleaning company. People always say to me, I, this is a question I often get asked, is that not your unique selling point that you are a social enterprise, that you're supporting people? But we talked to various customers who were already purchasing our buffets from us about their current cleaning needs. And I remember that a lot of them were coming back saying that the number one thing was price and obviously quality. Some of them weren't even bothered if it was environmentally friendly. They had their budgets to think of as well. So that was really important in terms of how we were going to sell ourselves. I found, and I still believe this, is once we had the customers on board, then we would add them to our Twitter account or Facebook account, and we would keep them informed on what we were doing and share good news stories with them. And I think that helped retain their custom. But I don't think their choice in using us as a cleaning company was because we were a charity. And in some ways, I think that might even put people off because it makes them think that we're not professional, we're not the proper thing. So I guess there's another tip there. Don't automatically assume people are going to buy from you because the money is going to a good cause. I mean, the cleaning kind of marketplace is really crowded. There's a lot of people out there doing it. You need to kind of work out where you're going to fit when you start these things up. So the business plan was really important, getting the funding at the beginning, and we were off. I think we launched in January the next year. It's really interesting to hear people share just sort of how it happened because I think often there's this sort of mystique around people that set up social enterprises that there was a you know this elaborate process and it took months and years to to come up with the idea but it sounds to me like you moved pretty fast in terms of April you were you'd finished the the willow weaving business and that was closed down or moved on uh, and then by September you're up and running with with Overstream Clean in the same year um, and I think it's quite interesting isn't it how quickly you can you can move and I think sometimes in the charity sector, we can move just as quick as the commercial sector. Yeah, I think sometimes faster in some ways. You know, the you think in the commercial world, it's got to have sign up from so many different people. And I now work in the commercial world and some things I thought would be slicker actually probably aren't. I think we are quite good in the charity world, We're, certainly with the kind of your side of things like the branding the fundraising and in charities we are salespeople. we're not always selling a product or a service but we're selling this message and the good news stories you know what the money does so I think we're very good at that in the charity sector. So going back then in this journey for you Rachel sort of on a scale of sort of one to ten when you started out I think let's just let's just hone in on Overstream Clean because I think it's a real success story on a sort of scale of one to ten how confident were you when you set out Were you confident enough to think, yeah, this is going to work, we're going to make loads of money, get loads of people back to work? Or was there niggles in the back of your mind thinking, what if this doesn't work out and we, you know, it doesn't work? What what do you think on that? You know, I was thinking about this. I think I was pretty confident. I don't know whether I'm allowed to say that. I think also, I mean, it's a real privilege to be able to use someone else's money to start up a business. I mean, I think most business people when they start a business they're putting in their money and maybe sometimes even remortgaging their house I don't know and you have to be really sure about what you're doing but 
when you're using a charity's money, you know, you have to be really sure that £50,000, how many people could that feed for how long? You know, how many hot breakfasts could we do? You know, Simon, we, you can do quite a lot of winter comfort with £50,000. You have to be sure. Uh, you have to be confident. I would say one to ten. Can I say eight? I thought we had a good idea and we'd gone through all the right steps. I was hopeful. And I think also because we were starting small, you know, the great thing about a cleaning company, you don't need to go and rent premises or buy loads of equipment. You just need to get a few microfiber cloths, some workwear, and you can get going. You don't even need a hoover. You know, people have their own hoovers. It's really as simple as that. It's just kind of, there's lots of other kind of bits you have to think about, you know, how, what kind of work contracts you're going to have, how we're going to pay people. Are they going to be freelance or on proper contracts? How are we going to recruit people? How are we going to do the training? You know, there are lots of other things, but there were kind of things that we could work out as we went along. Brilliant. I love the energy behind it as well, the excitement for it. Um, It does feel that it has that, yeah, more energy in the charge sector sometimes, perhaps the involvement of working with different people than you would otherwise. Um, Yeah, thank you for that. I guess on the same kind of lines in terms of confidence, what was the biggest challenge that you experienced while you were setting this up? Was there any time that you felt, what on earth am I going to do? <laughs> I think the biggest challenge for me was we were growing for a couple of years. We had 33, 34% growth rates, which is amazing. So pleased with that. But I mean, that in itself is a challenge because it's quite fast rate of growth and you've got to have all the back office to support that. You know, we still had a tiny back office team. We had one financial person manager they were having to do not just manage the kind of the finances of the charity but suddenly we were invoicing you know a huge range of customers so it was that kind of stuff which was a challenge but also when I got to the point of thinking right how are we going to grow this do we want to think about other regions and maybe some kind of franchise scheme and I think for me that was a big challenge because the trustees didn't quite have that appetite for that level of expansion so trying to convince the trustees and maybe I went around that the wrong way I kind of thought I'll get all the ducks in a row and then put this grand proposal to them so we got a legal package of support the judge business school was supporting me but I think the trustees maybe didn't see it like that and and also to be fair they were quite right homelessness is a growing issue in Cambridge and we really needed to think about expanding kind of our welfare side of things so I guess they were a little bit worried about investing or expanding the social enterprise side of things so it's tricky I think for trustees of a charity because you know it's not their day job and they're big decisions to make so that for me was kind of the biggest roadblock that I faced with Overstream Clean. Mm, thank you yeah I think probably a common one um, for people listening they're experiencing similar things do you have any tips from your time on that in terms of communicating new ideas with the trustees? I think it's really important to understand the trustees well and and kind of what their strengths are and maybe try and get a couple of people on board first before you go to the kind of main board with your idea because it's good to have some backing within the team. So the franchise idea, in hindsight, I would have maybe met with a couple of the trustees who I know are are kind of business focused and put my proposal to them first informally and then approached the board with the proposal and maybe got, you know, the trustee to lead with it. I would also say Overstream Clean was at 
kind of the size where it would have been good to have like a, a subsidiary board working group. And that was part of my proposal that we get some key people from the business sector in. I suggested a couple of people with someone from Barclays Bank who was a keen supporter. It's a really good way of getting corporate supporters involved as well. You know, they've got a huge amount of knowledge of running kind of businesses and you kind of have to change how you think as well as a charity. So even the management accounts, they were set up to run a day centre and it was great because we got a really good financial director on board but and who got it. But I needed to see where the profit margins were and it was a different way of presenting the management accounts. And you need that expertise in the board. So your board kind of has to grow with you as well. So yeah, I would I would say, you know, maybe look at recruiting members of a board or a subsidiary board who had those skills to support you. I think it's really interesting. I think it reflects the general move in the sector. I mean, in the homeless sector towards trading and generate, generating our own income. It's quite a step for a lot of trustees. It's a really big, it's a really big move. Mm. Um, so I think to, yeah, your advice on that is really, it's just really helpful. Um, I think from my point of view, was there a, a conversation or a seminal moment for you, Rachel, with Overstream Clean where you thought, yeah, this is going to, this is, you know, I've got backing, I, this is really going to work? Or was there a corporate that came on board that just made you think, do you know what, we've got something that, that is really worthwhile and is really working here? Do you know what? I think the biggest in terms of conversations with people was our service users, talking to them and chatting to them about what they would think. Because, you know, you could go out and set this up and have all these expectations that people are going to jump at this idea that you're going to give them a mop and a microfiber cloth and they were going to go out and get paid for it. But I don't know if that's what people want to do. I think the best conversations I had were chatting to people and, and seeing what they thought about it all and getting their, their ideas. But probably in terms of corporates, probably at John from PwC, he was really supportive. And also, I've never worked in the corporate sector before, even in terms of kind of the terminology that they use. You know, it's a whole different world. And for him to say, you know, you're onto something here. This is, and they work with so many different businesses and they provide services to. For them to give us their backing, that felt really something something important and just going back to the um comment you made about talking to service users at winter comfort um because i think what's really important for us as part of this podcast is actually promoting the voice of people with lived experience mm, uh, yeah because actually i think the tendency sometimes is that um management of charities and organizations they come up with fantastic ideas that are really really whizzy and then and then they go to you know they go to recruit service users into a training program uh, and the numbers are down and it's just constantly difficult to get people on board and get them engaging in it yeah what would be your advice to those organizations so how do we how do we get the the impact and the impetus from from those with experience of homelessness directly I think their voice has to be every stage of the business plan. It can't be exclusive. It can't be written outside of that process. So talk to people and get them involved. Ask them what they think, what skills they have, what they would like to do. If they had £50,000, what kind of business would they set up? One of the first things I did at Winter Comfort was we had these little business workshops where people um, had an opportunity to pitch their idea and get support setting up um, someone wanted to set up a dog walking business or somebody else um, with a wheelie bin washing business so that was really interesting to get to hear what they wanted to do and if there's anything we could do to support that because sometimes it was they've got the skills they just actually they just need someone to sit down and tell them how they set up as a sole trader what they needed to do who they needed to tell so 
yeah, I think that is really important. That's a really good point, Simon. Yeah, no, I'm really pleased that you just mentioned beneficiaries then. Um, I was just hoping that was going to come up. <laughs> um, it's one of the things I think people often are motivated more by providing employment and training opportunities than they are about, you know, diversifying revenue. And as of when they're setting it up, so that's, that's really good to have that in because I think a lot of the, the conversations on this tend to miss miss that motivation out. And so people starting enterprise who are hearing people talking about it from a business perspective don't tend to get as bought in. So that's really good to know. Um, alongside that, what's been the most exciting part about developing a social enterprise? I guess the exciting bit is is when you you have success. So there's been quite a few really memorable moments on the journey. I think getting winning contracts is really exciting. Seeing people move into their own house. I think one of the most exciting things for me was when our lead gardening operative booked his first holiday away. That's huge to go from living on the street to getting accommodation to I think once you have time and money to go on holiday, you feel like you've achieved what you set out to do. And then we were finalists for the Social Enterprise UK Award. That was really exciting. Yeah, it's always exciting winning stuff, isn't it? Because you, you're getting your name out there and telling people. It, g- it gives you a good reputation as well among, among your customers as well. So that was good. And then when we got our hearse, we had a hearse. It was kind of left over from our Winter Willow project. It was uh, donated to us from a funeral directors. And we got that rebranded pink. That was quite exciting. Pink hearse. I don't think I'll ever forget that. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty pretty unusual um and with that I really like the the excitement behind it how did you share that across your customers your supporters in terms of the impact because it's more than just a financial impact from a business base but also the narrative behind it the social impact yeah well Simon was very good at that it's more of a question for Simon he, he was quite good at about sharing stories and I think that was important and as I said I think it helped keep our customers I don't think it was necessarily a decision to make them use us some it was some they wanted to use us because of what our goal was and what our outcomes were we haven't talked much about food for food but with the buffets certainly we did a lot of tweeting when we got new customers we added them to our twitter feed and shared with them when people got a job or how many training hours we'd done we were quite good at data and stats so how many training hours we'd delivered and I quite like my numbers what our income was per hour and things like that so yeah that was quite interesting but yeah we Simon was very good at putting that across and it helped in terms of the fundraising as well we weren't dependent on fundraising income for the social enterprises but certainly for the welfare side of things it's a really important part of what we do at Winter Comfort. Yeah, I think I have to confess now, yeah, that was part of my job was to capture some of those stories while, you know, when I worked at Winter Comfort. And um, I remember there was one chap who um, who we rang and spoke to. And, and the thing for him, he worked for Overstream Clean. And the thing that really impacted him was being trusted with a key for the building that he was cleaning. And that's just something that I had never thought about or just took for granted. And actually for that mm. individual, he said, no, I've for the first time in my working life, I've been trusted with a task. I've got a job to complete and I've got the responsibility to make that happen. Um, that was one story that stuck with me throughout yeah, the last five years, really, because um, it seems such a basic thing, doesn't it? it you know, it seems, seems something so straightforward. It's just about getting that job done. Um, but I think for some of the, the individuals that we employ within the social enterprises, some of that, that stuff makes a big difference to them and it really helps their confidence motivation um so i think that's one story for me that i will 
you know, that I remember really well and quite clearly. Those, and we, and we, we captured quite a lot in terms of how it helped our, the guys we worked with and our service users. But there were so many other outputs and impacts that we didn't capture. So, for example, we got this contract with the council, this kind of service level agreement to cut the grass for disabled and elderly council tenants. Um, and that was an amazing, it was right at the beginning of the launch. That was just an amazing contract to win. It really helped us. But the gardeners would come back and they would tell me all these stories, like helping some old person get the cat out of the tree or this one lady he was worried about because she hadn't seen anyone all week. They got the tea set out and they'd have snacks and tea waiting for them. And just these amazing stories of human connection that, you know, I got to hear them. And I just thought super amazing. Well, these guys are actually not just beneficiaries and receiving support they're out there giving support as well it's really wonderful mm. if you could go back over the experience so it's been remarkably successful the work that you you've done what would you tell yourself now that you wish you'd known back at the beginning when you'd started that journey what 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 would your best tip be I think that it's all worth it there is quite a lot of blood sweat and tears and just to know that actually it is worth it you're going to make a difference you know, accept mistakes as well. I think with the winter willow, it was it did seem at the time quite disappointing that that came to an end. It was a nice little enterprise. It had a lot going for it. But you've got to be really clear when something's not working. And, and I think people find that difficult. But don't flog a dead horse. You've got to know when, when to move on. So my top tips, I guess, don't reinvent the wheel. Start lean, accept your mistakes and play to people's strengths. Thanks to Rachel for joining us today on This Much We Know. You can follow them on Twitter at OverstreamClean. Next episode, we're joined by Alistair Jackson, social entrepreneur and CEO of Recycling Lives. So please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter at ThisMuch underscore We Know. Also, a big thanks to Neil Whiteside at Freedom One for the production. Until next time, from Simon and me, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>